Internet Brown, Editor-in-Chief of Archives of Disease and Childhood. Welcome to April Atoms. I'll be speaking, as usual, with Rachel Agbeko, our Senior Editor. So the theme underpinning this month is unpredictability. I'm going to take the liberty of starting with a quote from Paul Oster, the American author, who says, The world is so unpredictable. Things happen suddenly, unexpectedly. We want to feel we're in control of our own existence. In some ways we are, in some ways we're not. We're ruled by the force of chance and coincidence. So those were his words, which are particularly relevant and resonant during a week in which the rate of new COVID-19 infections, literally weeks after their first detection in December, has accelerated to near pandemic levels. So through rather different lenses, each of this month's papers looks at unpredictability. We'll start with self-harm across healthcare settings. So it's well known that self-harm strongly predicts later suicide, up to 80% of suicide descendants having had a primary or secondary mental health contact in the year before death. Self-harm data are therefore crucial to suicide prevention efforts. Approximately twice as many people who self-harm seek help in primary care rather than access secondary care, for example, through ED. John examines individual level linked data across general practice emergency departments, outpatients and hospital admissions to examine contexts across settings and time um, by gender for self-harm in individuals aged 10 to 24 years old in Wales between 2003 and 2015. So in short, self-harm incidence was highest in primary care but remained stable over time. The incidence of ED attendance however increased over time as did hospital admissions, the highest rates being in the late teenage group. Most, reassuringly, appear to have been offered mental health specialty follow-up. But what are the messages for prediction, primary care, and particularly primary prevention? What did you take from this, Rachel? Well, there's several things here, uh, Nick. To start with, so worrying over time, the the incident increase for females across all settings um, and across all settings in the most deprived areas, incidence was more than double than in the least deprived areas. Um, This was more pronounced for males compared to females, um, with the incidence in the most deprived areas being more than thrice that in the least deprived areas. So where might we focus? Um, and again, that's not an easy answer to that. And there's a few clues to consider based on the data. So as you said, the incidence was highest in the 15 to 90 year olds across all settings. Um, and then when we look at males who attended the emergency department, uh, they may need some tailored followed up um, for services given their highest suicide rates in that group. The, the theme of health inequalities here uh, come through again, because so the health inequalities here are aligned with socioeconomic stratification, where people from deprived backgrounds are at higher risk. Uh, and, and I do say that what I felt worrying as well was the worrying trend uh, in the increase of females over time. Uh, thinking about solutions, well, maybe it's now a good time to read the report Health Equity in England, the Marmot Review, 10 years on, which was just published in February 2020 with the Health Foundation. So 
from an uncertain future in Wales to neonatal anthropometry in Ethiopia. And the uncertainty here is how to identify babies at risk for low birth weight. The greatest burden of low birth weight and its related mortality uh, falls on low and middle income countries. A common practical issue in these settings is identifying these at risk children due to scarcity of scales, something that we might take for granted here. So um, anthropometric measures as proxies for weight have been suggested and Giddy uh, test this hypothesis in Ethiopia using foot length, chest circumference and mid upper arm circumference as predictors of low birth weight and prematurity. Now each of which had good predictive value for prematurity and low birth weight and a secondary study comparing two gestational age estimation scores, the MBS and ERAGI, which is a modification of the Dewey scale, showed broad similarity. In practice, this means that easily obtained measures and neurological evaluation can be used to screen for high-risk babies who require longer observation and potentially nasogastric feeding and other treatments. So, so far so good, Nick, and now what? Well, it's interesting. This study really adds to previous ones testing the, the same hypothesis. So in these sorts of settings where there genuinely is a dearth of what we would consider basic measurement equipment. So this, this study was undertaken in uh, Jima University, uh, Jima Town, Southwest Ethiopia, which is the only tertiary referral hospital for that part of the country. And it serves a population of around 15 million people. Their neonatal mortality is around 29 per thousand live births, um, one of the highest in the world, and like many other sub-Saharan countries, most low birth weight and preterm newborns are unlikely to be identified as a result of a lack of measuring instruments and therefore not referred for additional life-saving care because they're born in the community uh, without the presence of skilled healthcare workers. The uncertainty now is what happens once these babies have been identified um, and these alternative anthropometric tests suggest that they can be. We'll move on. We'll discuss the unknowns in relation to time to diagnosis for central nervous system or CNS tumors. So the association between delay in diagnosis and outcome in CNS tumors is quite well recognized. In 2011, the Head Start initiative, which was based on guidance developed by the RCPCH to raise awareness of early symptoms of brain tumors was launched. In a before and after assessment, Shan Mugadevadil examines time to diagnosis and system interval. In other words, the time to first presentation to a medical facility to diagnosis, SI for short, in the two years following the launch. This is based on anonymized data from 18 treatment centers in the UK. So the good news is that median total diagnostic interval fell from 14 plus weeks in 2006 to 6.7 weeks in 2013. Young children, those aged 0 to 5, accounted for about 40% of the cases with a peak age of diagnosis of two years. Children with CNS tumors experience longest intervals, the median time to diagnosis interval of 10.5 weeks and a system interval of 2.9 weeks. 12 to 18 year group, however, had a median TDI of 12.1 weeks, three months, compared with eight weeks 
for the five to 11 age group, and six weeks, even shorter, for the five age group. Putting this alternatively, it looks as if adolescents are being imaged about a month later on median than their younger counterparts. So there are presumably implications here for enhancing awareness in this group. Why might there be a longer system interval? That's even harder to answer. But clinicians might be falsely reassured by the slow pace and subtle, rather non-specific symptoms, secondary to slow-growing central tumours. There might be a lack of resource leading to waiting times for secondary care clinics or for MRI under general anaesthetic. So what contributes most towards the time to diagnosis interval in the 12 to 18 year group? Here, there might be avoidance or delay in seeking advice from parents, peers or healthcare professionals. Paying attention to this adolescent population, the HeadSmart campaign was relaunched in 2017 after extensive co-design with uh, adolescent advisors. Areas of work with a website, school visits, social media presence, and celebrity ambassadors as role models. Complementing this study and very much on the same lines, Satki reports a systematic review and meta-analysis of 26 retrospective cohort studies in high economy countries only, assessing differences across educational outcomes in survivors of childhood cancer compared with peers. Survivors were more likely to remain at primary level and less likely to compete with secondary and tertiary education levels. They're also more likely to have special educational needs. In terms of the tertiary education, those with previous CNS tumours continued to perform worse, but children with non-CNS cancers performed similarly to their peers, suggesting they were able to catch up. Rachel, what do these studies suggest to you? Well, um, mostly I was struck by the power of co-design with uh, young people. Uh, in terms of trying to shorten time to diagnosis. Uh, and I wonder whether we may be able to do similar um, with enabling them to learn during and after the cancer treatment. So if we are able to um, engage with, with young people and see what matters to them in uh, being able to reduce the time to seek help or talk about things, then why might we not do the same um, in in uh, their circumstances in trying to learn during and after their uh, their treatment. So have we actually asked how best to do this? Have we applied a pedagogy that works in this situation? Uh, so that's pedagogy rather than medicine. I don't think as medics we necessarily think of pedagogy, if that's how you um, pronounce it. Speaking of medicine, this month's rather excellent drug and therapeutic section is as always broad and erudite. Ryan um, summarises the current state of play around ranitidine um, in which low levels of potential carcinogenic nitrosaminines were found in some brands. The drug is not withdrawn but in short supply due to recall of some batches and the editorial balances the decisions many general paediatricians and paediatric gastroenterologists will need to make. So the ongoing European Medicines Association review will hopefully provide some clearer answers uh, in making these decisions. So Nick, given that we have no clarity here, what, what would be the options? Well, that's a really good question and there is no generic right answer to this. Um, I guess the first step, as with any prescribing situation, is is the drug actually needed? So answer 
or principle number one would be to ask the question, is this an opportunity to de-prescribe? Um, if that's not an option, in other words, the child has intractable symptoms which requires uh, intervention of some sort, um, what are the alternatives? Well, there might be simpler alternatives such as alginate um, or alternative medicinal treatments like proton pump inhibitors. They could both be considered. Even having said that, there are the safety profiles of these alternative drugs to be taken into consideration too. Bob Phillips has something to say that about in this month's Archimedes section. I think we could summarize what we've been talking about um, as Daniel Kahneman, the Nobel Prize winning economist and psychologist once did. The idea that the future is unpredictable is undetermined every day by the ease with which the past is explained. What I meant to say is the idea that the future is unpredictable is undermined every day by the ease with which the past is explained. And on that note, I want to thank you all, as usual, for listening once again and for checking out the website adc.bmj.com for far more. See you again soon. Bye for now. Bye now.